Hi, Jazz. Hey, Lula. Has anything cool and queer or Jewish happened to you recently? Yeah, I feel like a number of cool and queer and Jewish things have happened to me recently. The first one is I went to Queer Talmud Camp this <gasps> last week. It was Queer Talmud Camp Online. So it's my third year of going to QTC, but it's my first year doing it online. And they called it QTC Diaspora Edition, which is very oh, cute. I love that. Yeah. And, you know, I still studied some good Talmud and saw some good friends and had a really nice time. And it's more challenging to do online, but I still... It was really lovely. Yeah, I'll imagine it's a little more challenging online. But I was still very charmed by it because, like, in lieu of a regular campfire, there was this gathering where they put a bonfire flickering thing on the screen, and then different people would lead a song and you could sing along from your own houses. And they had mailed you beforehand these little packets you unpacked it for the campfire and inside was a little box of matches and a few graham crackers and a chocolate bar that had gotten all melty in the mail and then solidified again <laughs> and a toothpick, a set of marshmallows and a tea candle. Okay, there it is. You could light the little tea candle and roast your little kosher marshmallows and make s'mores. That's amazing. It was very cute, and I got a kick out of it. <laughs> I had a great time. Some stuff really just did hold up. My first time at QTC, I was like, there's a talent show? Okay, but there's never been a good talent show in the history of the universe. <laughs> and then I went to their talent show, and I walked away, and I was like, huh. There's been one good talent show in the history of the universe. <laughs> I'm so glad. Anyway, the talent show is like still pretty applicable over Zoom because you can still just do your act and have people see it. Mm -hmm. And the previous two years, I'd done poetry at the talent show. This year, I was like, well, I could... But I feel like my poetry is all kind of a downer at this point, like anything that I'd have ready to present. Mm -hmm. So instead I did a reenactment of the Talmud avatar crossover fanfic with stuffed animals playing the different rabbis. I love that. It was great. Jazz. Jazz. <laughs> cool. Can I tell you about some cool stuff that happened with me? Please. I have basically no social life, so most of these things actually do at least tangentially involve you. But <laughs> <laughs> there was another PowerPoint party recently, mm -hmm. and it was even more entertaining than the first, I would say, mostly because I actually, to some degree, prepared a PowerPoint ahead of time instead of just saving a couple images forgetting about it for several days, and then giving an off-the-cuff speech. So since the general audience is a little less sciencey, have a perfect- Way to drag my friends. It's not a drag, it's just like a thing. It's good because as somebody who was trained as an eighth grade science teacher and therefore has approximate knowledge of many things, I can find cool topics that I was entertained by when I learned about them and teach them to friends in like five minutes. 
Okay. And so this particular one, the concept got a little muddied, but I started with how do you tell what time Shabbat starts? Mm-hmm. I use that as a way to talk about the different time factors that affect when sunset is. Who knew it takes so much math to be Jewish? <laughs> that is a joke, right? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway point is, I did talk mostly about astronomy. And unbeknownst to me, (laughs) the hawk brought one of their favorite topics, which was flat earthers. I feel the need to defend her honor to clarify that she is not herself a flat earther for the sake of everybody else listening. (laughs) Yeah, no, I was about to clarify that too, because the hawk is too cool for that. No, she's just really interested in flat earthers. And this was not, by and large, a defense of flat earth hypotheses, other than me incredulously being like, wait, how can they believe that? And her being like, I don't know. And me being like, I don't know either. (laughs) But yeah, it was really cool. I enjoyed her presentation, and she recommended one particular documentary. And so... That day or the next, I just went and watched the documentary, and it was very straight, right? Except for, okay, so there were like four people who were in the documentary who the hawk mentioned and had little pictures of in her presentation, Mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, that person looks boring, that person looks boring, that person looks fashy, Oh, hi. And I wasn't sure why the hawk had included the fourth person, because the description that she gave was mostly like, is there to make fun of them. Uh But when I watched it, there was a cute astronomer lady, and she had dyed hair. And I guess that's my queer thing for the week. Oh my god. I thought the queer thing was just that all of us were there at this party. Well, yes, and also all of us were Jewish. And also you got introduced to it via the hawk. Like... Yeah. Like, everybody involved was queer and Jewish. Yeah. To be fair. Just, like, one of the salient things is, I'm a lesbian. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Though also I was here because I was a lesbian. My boyfriend invited me to hang out with their (laughs) friends. So, you know, whatever. I wanted to throw on one more thing. Okay. Yes, please. This is not a lesbian thing, although it does involve people who are U-Hauling. God. But- what? <laughs> uh, which is that I went to my friend's wedding celebration. Mm. And my friend is Jewish, so this was a Jewish thing. She just got married, and I think she's the first person sort of in my social circle who I'm close to. Mm-hmm. Like, who's of my age and who got married. (laughs) She's a little bit younger than me. Her husband seems really nice. They did get engaged after dating for two weeks and got married within a couple months. So I don't know him very well. I'm signing directly into the microphone. (laughs) But I got to meet him at this, like, socially distant celebration in her backyard. I wasn't at their actual wedding. And, you know, they're an Orthodox couple Mm. now that she's married. My friend is covering her hair and wearing a wig and, like, also seems really happy. And, um... Cool. I hadn't been at a gathering quite like this before, so I saw people doing the Sheva Brachot, a series of prayers, basically, that are, like, blessings and wishes for newlyweds that other people do for them. Oh, yeah. And that was very sweet. 
a man who I did not know pointed at me and said I should get married. What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, said that you should get married. Said that I should get married. I thought this man pointed to you and was like, I should get married to this person. (laughs) No, no, it was more of a like, he was an elder being like, all of you young people should get married. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Anyway, so that was my very not queer, but Jewish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Are you ready to get started? I am. One, two, three, four. Welcome to Kosher Queers, a podcast with at least two Jews and generally more than three opinions. Each week, we bring you queer takes on Torah. They're Jazz. And she's Lila. And we're here to joke about Judaism and talk Tanakh together. This week, our Chavruta is studying Kitetze. We sure are. Did I get that word for word? Yes. I forgot to open the script, and so I was just, like, doing that off the dome. Oh, I think in that case, you switched maybe one of the words, but in no yeah. in no particular way that was important <laughs> or relevant. Okay, cool. So can you tell us a little bit about Kitetze? Sure. Can I have 30 seconds in which to do so? 30 seconds are on the clock. Three, two, one, go. This week. We get a bunch of new rules and some old rules, many of which are so horrifying that later rabbis took considerable time to redefine them so narrowly that they're basically never applicable. (laughs) This includes things about the death penalty, proper parenting, spousal relationships, and rape. But also, haircuts indicate a change in social identity, clothes are connected to gender expression, fairness is important, and everyone in the community needs to be fed so you can't hoard stuff. However, the text does act like virginity is a thing, creates the category of a mumser, and repeats the somewhat self-defeating injunction to wipe out the name of Amlek. Right? Okay, so you were like five-ish seconds over, unfortunately. So we have to end the podcast here. The project is over. So I can go hide in a hole at this abject failure. (laughs) No, it is because you have to be stoned in front of the community. Thus, we will sweep out evil from our midst. All of Israel will hear and be afraid. Sorry. Uh, I propose we don't need to because Rabbi Yochanan is going to say in a couple generations that I only need to be flogged and that only if I'm between like the ages of 13 and 14. Yeah. Um, can you tell me what kitetse means? That's a good question. Is it like, who takes the field? So it doesn't include the field, I don't believe. Or who, actually. Kitetse is when you go forth. Oh, okay. Or alternately, you might prefer this translation, it's when you come out. <laughs> huh. Okay, I do like that. <laughs> Which, honestly, listen, if this Parsha is about right when you come out, my friend Evan has a thing about how the first year after somebody comes out is their gay year, and (laughs) they get to 
loop every single other conversation around to them being gay and they get to because inevitably they will and so you just gotta live with that for like the first year until it's just a regular part of who they are as a person and they don't need to talk about it constantly my point being when somebody first comes out they're kind of messy and they don't know how to be properly part of a community yet and this parsha is kind of messy and it doesn't quite know what it's doing yet which is why <laughs> other rabbis had to deal with it later good yeah i'm just like i get the gay year thing but also, who doesn't loop every conversation <laughs> back around to one of their identities? If there's anything I learned from Felix Ever After. <laughs> yeah, also, I gushed about Felix Ever After, I think, on an earlier episode. And now you have also read it, which is... Yeah, Jez was kind enough to send me a bunch of books. And it's all, like, gay YA. I have really enjoyed the first book that I breeze through. <laughs> I liked what Jazz said about it. You kind of hate some of the characters, but it's like, they are well written. It was a good book. Extremely dated to 2019, but... <laughs> OYA is gonna... Oh, sorry, we can't go down this path. Not right now. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is gonna be too long of an episode. Right, okay. we need to actually finish this and go places, because we both have time commitments. Okay, so what happens in this Parsha, more specifically? Okay, so on the one hand, nothing, just because you're a plot-oriented person, nothing happens mm -hmm. in this Parsha. But on the other hand, we get a bunch of rules. Mm -hmm. And we start with this one. If you take prisoners of war, and one of them is a beautiful woman who you want to be with, you can marry her. You bring her back to your house. She cuts her hair and her nails, changes clothing, spends a month lamenting her family, and then gets married. So remember how Cassidy was like, these rules may seem really bad, but also they are a slight improvement on <laughs> rules of the time. Uh-huh. I feel like that's relevant here. Okay, please say more. Like, you can capture a wife just because you think she's hot, but you do have to let her mourn her family and, like, take care of her health and well-being, and... If you think she's fugly or too difficult after a month, you gotta not enslave her. Yes. Treat her rightly. Yes, that is all absolutely true and present. <laughs> like, agreed, generally, but also this is based on the premise when you fight people and murder a bunch of them and take others captive and one of the captives is hot and you want her as a wife, which... Yeah. Wild premise. Yeah. So I went through this Parsha and looked at a bunch of the Talmud commentary mm -hmm. on the bits that struck me as horribly outrageous. <laughs> um because some of them, they really walk it back. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the ones where they like walk it back a little bit. Yeah. And they're saying, what if this isn't exactly a prisoner of war, but it is a woman who's from a group of people who are not Israelites, who maybe you have historically fought with, mm -hmm. which is to say, this is about, can you marry a convert? Mm. Okay. And the sort of end result is, yes, you can. <laughs> cool. I think also this specific passage takes place under the assumption that people have gone out and, like, murdered other people for political reasons. Mm. So you got to think about what people who have gone out en masse and murdered other people and are now taking humans as bounty are going to do. 
And so I guess this is a commandment that's like, do the absolute least instead of just going hog wild and like mistreating all of your captives. It's like saying cops are not allowed to do chokeholds unless their lives are threatened. Because like the entire thing of bargaining with somebody who is armed and has the legal authority to kill you is like, you can't. Okay, but the cops are not allowed to do chokeholds unless their lives are threatened is bad. I, like yes that's what i'm saying yeah this is still bad <laughs> yeah like what if instead of this we just didn't take humans as bounty or like sexually abuse people via capturing them uh-huh anyway sorry i didn't intend to talk a whole bunch about this specific thing is there anything else that you have thought wise I do, actually. There's this whole thing about, and then she'll cut her hair and her nails, mm-hmm. and that this indicates a change in her status socially. And I think that that is an interesting thing. Cutting your hair and your nails indicates things about how you relate to other people. Mm. And also, you are allowed sharp edges. Ooh. Because the next part is, and discard her captive's garb. Mm-hmm. So, like, maybe that is part of the social standing is you are allowed to have scissors and knives and stuff, mm. which you wouldn't if you were just, like, a captive. Nice. I was thinking of it somewhat separately, actually, like, in a more theoretical sense. What happens if you remove it from the context of just being a captive mm-hmm. and think more abstractly of what does it mean that cutting your hair is indicative of a change in your social status. Okay. Partially because, like, that's kind of how I operate in the world, right? <laughs> the cutting my hair is important to me. Mm-hmm. And also we have biblical analogs of people who keeping their hair long was very important to them, like Samson, mm-hmm. who draws strength from having long hair. And, like, we had stuff about Nazarites, too. Like, mm-hmm. cutting your hair is related to upholding your vow or not. Yeah, so I just think it's an interesting note that your hair indicates how other people interact with you and how you interact with the rest of the world. Okay. Thanks for that insight. Then what happens? So well, nothing. But then what are we told? <laughs> there's a person who has two spouses, and there is a loved spouse and a hated one. Oh, is that how it's translated? No. That is, however, what it means. Wow. Does yours say... Loved and unloved. unloved. Yeah. Sure does. So I was curious about it because my translation says loved and unloved also. Mm-hmm. And that makes it sound like you're in love with one person and one person you're just kind of without of obligation. Right? Yeah. But the text for loved has ahuva, which is clear and like related to the word ahava, which is love. Mm-hmm. And so if it was going to be unloved, I might have expected it to be lo ahuva or in ahuva, like something that's like the same word, but with a negation in front of it. Right. It is instead an entirely different word, shanua, <laughs> which is really like hate. Okay. Okay. Fancy. Um, and the point that they have here is even if your child is from a relationship that you hated, you have to treat those children as equal to the children from the spouse that you loved. Mm-hmm. That's not been the case, necessarily. <laughs> Yakov. <laughs> so this is kind of a, hey, don't do what your grandpas did. 
Huh? Yeah, maybe. I had a question for you. Oh, sure. Which is, does this bit ring sensibly for you in terms of these being standards for different people you have relationships with? Sorry, as a polyamory thing or as a general thing? I mean, I think both. Okay. This is specifically in the context of the person married to multiple people. But like, Mm -hmm. if you have insights of it in any other kind of relationship, I would love to hear those too. So I feel iffy about prioritizing inheritance based on birth order. (laughs) But like, I think that following the trends for inheritance based on birth order that everybody else is doing and like following those trends with your actual birth order rather than prioritizing the Rachel over the Leia, mm-hmm. that seems very reasonable and wise. Okay. My other thought is that if you hate somebody, you should probably break up with them. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more. Stop after the stoning part. Great. Because then I have a question. Great. Okay, so we jump straight from children to another thing about children, Mm -hmm. which is if you have a wayward and defiant son who does not heed any of his parents, even after disciplinary action, his parents take hold of him and bring him out to the elders and denounce him and they all stone him to death. And thus you will sweep out evil from your midst. All Israel will hear and be afraid. So just checking with you for a second. Yeah. This is you have a child and you kill the child ceremonially as a way of improving the standing of your nation. Am I good so far? I don't think improving the standing of your nation. Ah, thus you will sweep out evil from your midst. All Israel will hear and be afraid. That's not about improving the standing of your nation, is it? It's about, Uh, like... I guess. Okay, so basically where I was going with this is, how are we spinning this so that it's not child sacrifice? Oh, sure. (laughs) I mean, mostly the way we're spinning this is to say, oh, that's not what it meant, (laughs) right? Let me read you quickly some Sanhedrin 68. B, where they are elaborating on this case. (laughs) Good. And they're asking, from when does a stubborn and rebellious son become liable to receive this death penalty? They have, from when he grows two pubic hairs, until he has grown a beard around the lower beard, quote unquote, surrounding his genitals and not the upper beard, but the sages spoke in euphemistic terms. Thanks, Safaria. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. They do this fairly frequently in the Talmud, actually. Mm -hmm. It's a time. Anyway, so it's a very short period of time. And the reason is, as it is stated, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, which indicates the penalty is imposed upon a son, but not a daughter, upon a son, but not a fully grown man, plus if they're properly a minor, a minor is exempt from the death penalty. So it can't apply to a man and it can't apply to a minor and it can't apply to women at any age. So it can only apply to this very narrow window just on the cusp of adulthood. That's the only time Mm -hmm. it's allowed to be applicable. And then Rabbi Yochanan also chimes in that it wasn't anyway talking about killing, but only about flogging. It's like a whole thing. Anyway, so mostly what they do is they're like, no, no, no. You thought we were talking about recklessly killing our children? 
No, 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 no. It can only apply under this very, very tiny set of myriad circumstances. Mm-hmm. There's no evidence that this has ever been carried out. Good. A little bit before in Sanhedrin, we're told by Big Judes that his friend Biggie said the only people you should seat as judges mm-hmm. are ones who look at the carcass of a creeping animal and say, that's pure anyway. So can you yourself think of a different way by which you would basically legislate this punishment out of existence, i.e. say that a disloyal and defiant child is actually chill? Oh, I feel like there's many ways. (laughs) One, if you say that capital punishment is banned as a community, (laughs) then you just can't use it against anybody. Mm -hmm. And also, if you say, well... You can't kill a child because then you would be disappointing your parents and then you would be acting as the rebellious child. Did you just make that up? Or, yes. Okay. Wow. I'm fanning myself. (laughs) We should maybe move on before this becomes a different kind of podcast. Okay. Okay. So thank you very much for that wisdom. What's the next bit? The next bit leaps between very tangentially connected topics is how this whole thing is structured. So then we're like, well, what happens if there is capital offense? It's you must bury a person on the same day. This is also the origin of where lots of our funeral traditions come from. Mm. Like traditionally Jews get buried within 24 hours. Yeah. And they have this thing here about you must bury a person on the same day if they're guilty of a capital offense. And everybody gets buried within 24 hours. Yeah, would you do less for somebody who isn't guilty of a capital offense? I don't know. I mean, in practice, I know. Mm -hmm. But traditionally, everybody gets buried that quickly. Okay, so I just have one question about this, which isn't like a very interesting question. It's just, have we had impalements in Torah up to this point? Or am I confusing that with Trickster's Choice? (laughs) We have not had impalements. Okay, so that was Tamara Pierce. Cool. Uh, you can move on. <laughs> I'll also note that impalement isn't a way that people get killed, really. It's just a, like... It's a display. Yeah, after they're dead. Okay, and then we have stuff about right treatment of other people. Like, if somebody has lost one of their herd animals, you gotta take it back. And... Rabbis love this, by the way. <laughs> I think I've heard at least two Dvar Dvarim... So I don't know enough grammar. I've heard at least two dvars about this. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's very sweet. It's just like you can't leave it. You have to take it back. <laughs> and if it's like fallen down, you have to help them stand it back up. Yeah. Um. Can we skip that? Oh, whoops. Yeah, you spotted. Just the look next further line. down on the page. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. You know how there's that line in Leviticus where people are like, if you're looking for an anti-gay line in the Torah, this is the closest you're going to find? Yeah. Well, if you're looking for a similar thing about trans people in the Torah, this is the closest you're going to find. I do want to note that this says, a woman must not put on man's apparel, nor shall a man wear woman's clothing, which I think means you should- You're commanded to wear dresses? Well, no, you are- If you're going to have a system of gender in the first place, Uh you are commanded to give people a clear way to express that so they don't get misgendered unless it is maliciously. Ooh, I like that. 
Like, basically, there should be ways of dressing that are unique to women and unique to men. So that, like, if I go out in a really nice dress and I have my hair covered and, like, everything is pretty clear that I'm a woman, it shouldn't be a thing where some people are like, Oh, well, boys can dress femininely, so I just assume blah, 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 blah. <laughs> no. No. It's very clear what's going on here. For people not to be mishearing us, we also do think that, like, boys can dress in whatever they want. But, like, yeah, <laughs> not the point. Just, like, I think if we're going to have boys can dress femininely as a thing that everybody should know, first it should be known that if you want to be a girl, you can be. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Among all people. Uh-huh. And, like... Once there is room for all people who, hey, maybe a decade after when they start thinking about it, realize that maybe they're girls. Uh-huh. Then we can be like, it is so important that there be no differences in signaling via clothing. Okay. Is my opinion on that. Okay. <laughs> anyway, enough of me being angry. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Aw. Do you have anything else that you want to say about that particular line, or should we move on? No, the first new thing that I'm seeing is line 13, so you can keep chugging. Okay. Then just quickly, the bits that I'm skipping are, if there's a bird, you got to pick it up. (laughs) If you make a new house and there's going to be, like, people hanging out on the roof, you have to, like, build fences and rails so that people don't fall off. I love that. I do too, actually. It reminds me of how all bridges should have rails. Yeah. Also, there is things about proper sowing of your vineyards. You shall not plow using an ox and a donkey together. This is actually also very sweet because the reason you can't do that is because the donkey is much smaller than the ox. And so it would just be the ox pulling all of it mostly. And it's not fair. They would be unequally yoked. Yeah. I think a thing that... I really hope that doesn't just appear in Christian scripture. <laughs> mm, might, though. Then this a small note about also Titsy. <laughs> and then we have some more marriage rules. We're going to have marriage rules for a bit. <laughs> this one is a dude marries a woman and then decides, actually, he does not enjoy living with her anymore. And instead of just divorcing her, which he could do, he makes up a lie about her. And spreads it around. Which I will note, that's one of the Ten Commandments that you don't do that. Uh Uh-huh. It's in the Ark of the Covenant that you do not do that. So her family is not thrilled about this lie and takes him to court about it, basically. And if it's proven that he's lying, he gets flogged. Mm -hmm. And then he's not allowed to ever divorce her. Which I know sounds terrible, that she would have to stay married to this dude. But she has access to his household and... And resources. It's, I think, more meant to be, like, he has to continue to financially provide for her for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. So there's an implication here. Because the parents of the wife must bring evidence that she was a virgin. And it sounds like the evidence they're using is wedding night sheets where they had penetrative intercourse and she bled all over the place. Is that a fair interpretation of what they say here? 
It's a little vague, but I think that's a reasonable interpretation. Would you like to talk more about why that's unfortunate? Because I think that's a useful thing to touch on. So, A, some people don't rupture their hymens when they have penetrative intercourse for the first time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially in the modern day, if anybody has used tampons, that will often tear or cause to recede the hymen long before first time of penetrative intercourse. Mm-hmm. And also, just like, if you're doing it right and you have a little bit of wind-up, Like, so I live in Minnesota, and several months out of the year, it is very cold. And so if you want to drive your car, you should probably let the engine warm up a little bit. Oh my god. So that the difference between cooled and heated car tissues, parts of the engine, I guess, does not cause the engine to crack in any way, or otherwise wear out. And a similar thing is true when you are pleasing your wife, which is that if you warm the engine up, okay. the hymen is much less likely to rupture. Like, it's, it's just a membrane. It's fine. Just don't, don't make people you care about bleed unless they ask you to. And you're exercising, say, whatever. Don't make people you care about bleed. Uh-huh. <laughs> Is where I'm going to finish that up. Okay. (laughs) Also, it is weird that your parents just, like, take the bedsheets and keep them somewhere. Like, what? I mean, I think it's for this explicit purpose, right? Yeah, right? Like, the only way that this would be a thing is if everybody just does this. And everybody must for (laughs) self-protection. I hate this. Right. Also, the whole thing is premised on virginity as a thing. Also that. And it's kind of not. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? It's not real. Sure. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, virginity is an unfortunate concept to base your system around Uh in a number of ways. And one of the ways in which it's unfortunate is it is premised on the notion that there's something wrong with a person, specifically, usually a woman. Mm -hmm. If she's had sex multiple times or with multiple people, that that in some way is denigrating of her. That's why this, in this context, is slander and a lie worthy of punishing somebody for spreading. Mm -hmm. Whereas in a better world and a better like social understanding, it just wouldn't be slanderous because it wouldn't matter in the same way that like sometimes in modern day people leak other people's nudes and they're like, oh, this is very embarrassing for the person whose photos have been leaked. That's only true if you think that there's something wrong with having taken naked photographs as an adult. Right. Which lots of employers sure do. Right. For some reason. You would think that, like, the problem is one person has violated the other's trust. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, it gets more translated as there's something wrong with your body. God. Or there's something wrong with yourself for, like, having taken those photographs. And, like, I think that a reasonable thing about marriage law would be saying if there is something foundational to the agreement that you made with each other, that you are making a life together... Mm-hmm. then that being provably false is a reason to get divorced, mm-hmm. I think. Like, I still think that's reasonable. Yeah. But virginity is just not a thing, my dudes. Right. 
I mean, the other reason that virginity isn't the thing is just because mm-hmm. it definitionally and mechanically for something like this tends to rely on a very binary and cisnormative and heteronormative idea of what sex is. Right. And that just isn't accurate. And it means that you also end up with people in confusing situations who are like, I literally could not tell you mm-hmm. if... uh where someone might spread around rumors about whether or not this person is a virgin. And then the truth would come down to, well, I guess it depends on your perspective and definition of what sex is. (laughs) Yeah. Because different people just do different things with their bodies. Also, even like the standard of evidence just has nothing to do with what sex is. Like, I hate this. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. Okay, so there's all of those things. But there is all of this stuff that's happening about standards of behavior and punishing people for those standards of behavior. So, like, there's this thing that comes right after Mm -hmm. that's tied into this about if people are cheating on their spouses, both they and the person they cheat with die. Again, I think they walk back the literal death part of that (laughs) penalty, but not the, like, penalty idea. And then there's a thing about, well, what if they're engaged? And does it matter if it wasn't voluntary? And the answer is, it definitely does matter if it wasn't voluntary. Mm -hmm. Even in in the Torah's text, they say, like, if a man comes upon an engaged woman and attacks her, if she cries out for help, she's not subject to any of the punishments that might apply for cheating. Mm -hmm. And if she's, like, out distant in the countryside where nobody would hear her if she cried out for help, it's assumed that she did. Yeah, I think that this is mm, an under-nuanced view of how humans experience trauma, especially if you have set up a gender system where half of the people are supposed to be subservient and are also, like, prizes to be won. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, like, just because you don't cry for help really actively doesn't mean you wanted it. Mm Mm-hmm. Though that's the assumption that the text seems to be going with here. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, um, as we might say in many respects, it's definitely an under-nuanced text. And it doesn't take into account the full range of human reactions and ways that people can hurt other people. Mm-hmm. And especially how that plays out with gendered violence. And I would say that we know because there's been so much other interpretations on this Parsha from the Talmud that if there is a value that you could extract here of you don't blame people for violences that other people perpetrated against them. Yeah. Like if you can extract that value and then say, yes, we will need to do more interpretive work on this later, but we think that that value (laughs) is there. I feel like that's a fair way for me to text. Yeah, I do too. Okay. Finally. More. Oh my god, there's so much more. I would like to race through some of this. Mm-hmm. Which is, they introduced the category of the momzer. Whoa. Which is basically an illegitimate child. Mm-hmm. And it reads it as, No momzer shall be admitted into the congregation of the eternal, no descendant of such, even in the tenth generation. And I think what this in practice ends up meaning is that illegitimate children can't marry priests. Mm. Okay, congregation of Hashem. Okay. Yeah. Okay, this makes much more sense. Thank you. Yeah. Because, like, on the basis of ethnicity and issue in or out of wedlock, there is a permanent prevention of people from joining the, quote, congregation of the Lord, end quote. 
And so that being specifically marrying into priesthood makes so much more sense as a thing that I would want to be part of our, like, if you have to make those restrictions, only priests is fine. I also want to be clear that it's not permanent. Tenth generation is a really long time, but it's not actually permanent. Please consider how long the Jewish people has been around for. Yeah, but... It's like saying El Ahrera is the prince of five enemies. It's not just five. There are a bunch of mustelids out there. I don't understand this reference, but I believe you. I'm <laughs> powering through. Unless you want to explain what that reference is. It's a watership down thing. Oh, okay. I have mentioned it before, but like they're god, I guess. There's like a sun god, but also like a rabbit prince named the prince of... Okay, it's translated as Prince of a Thousand Enemies, but literally it translates to Prince of Five Enemies <laughs> because rabbits can't count above five. And so five or above is a big number. That's cute. According to this text. And I think similarly, like, Moisha can't count above the 10th generation, <laughs> even though he knows it exists. Like, he can look at 11 generations of history and be like, ah, There are more than 10 generations here, but in conceiving of it, 10 generations is just such a big number. Do you know that there are languages that exist in the world that their basic counting is like one, two, three, many? (laughs) Good. Uh, It might be one, two, three, four, many, but it's good. There's also a thing about how if there's a slave who's running away, you have to protect them and like hide them. Then there's stuff about you can't have... Okay, this is a little bit of an outside translation. Mm -hmm. It renders it as no Israelite woman shall be a prostitute, nor shall any Israelite man be a prostitute. But it is probably more like your priests and like religious leaders can't be part of the sex cults that are also religious that are some of the ways in which your neighboring communities work. I do want to note... Yeah. I don't think that means sex work is illegal. No, I don't think so either. (laughs) Because it's like, you shall not bring the fee into the house of God. And I think, look, lots of the other things of this are read really narrowly. And I think you could read this one really narrowly too. Like, you can't operate sex work at your local synagogue, (laughs) which seems fine to me. Right? Like, that's fine. Please operate it out of your home instead. Or wherever else. Or at least outside the synagogue. What? If you're going to arrange clients at shul, do it outside the synagogue. Though I do want to put in a personal plug here, which is I think that our system should be set up so that we have more rabbis who are or were sex workers. Mm-hmm. I think the rabbinate would be better for it. <laughs> yeah. Right. So then there's stuff about you have to leave grapes and stuff on the vines in case people need it. Mm-hmm. And then we get your thing about what happens when people divorce. Mm-hmm. I'm actually just going to read this paragraph out because I have an interesting anecdote. Okay, please. A householder takes a wife and becomes her husband. She fails to please him because he finds something obnoxious about her. And he writes her a bill of divorcement, hands it to her, and sends her away from his home. There's a longer part of this paragraph, but that's the bit that I wanted to highlight because okay. when I went to go visit the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College, I sat in on a class <laughs> that was people presenting Jewish artwork that they had made. 
I love this. And one of the people in the class, whose name, unfortunately, I don't remember, had made a piece of art using the language of a get. I believe using this language of this paragraph and what this person had done. Sorry, just to translate, get is a bill of divorcement? It sure is. Okay, cool. Not in this text, I believe. I don't think that's the word it uses here, Mm -hmm. but just in general, that's what it's called. And so what this rabbinical student had done was taken a picture of this and then cut out the words individually and then rearranged them in different sentences using the same words. So it said different things. Oh, okay. And by rearranging those created a number of different alternate scenarios, (laughs) including ones where like she divorced him, sure, but also something entirely different and a whole variety of different scenarios that led to the dissolution of the marriage. And I thought it was both very cool and very beautiful. And also this student ended with one particular arrangement of the words and said, all of these scenarios are different ways that marriages could have ended. I like this one best because I feel like it captures best how I feel about my divorce. Aww. Do you remember what that sentence was? I could not reconstruct it from this. Okay. But it was something about there is something obnoxious that fails to please. And so we have given each other a bill of divorcement so that we may both be in a better situation. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It really impressed upon me the way that, like, when you bring people with different experiences and different voices, like, you can find things in the Torah that you wouldn't have found otherwise. Mm -hmm. You got to wrestle with this text and maybe sometimes cut it to pieces and put it back together. Yeah, I love that. That's a really cool insight. Right? And I think the practice of Judaism beyond the text is when you come out with a bunch of different interpretations. Hell yeah. I do think that you got to make the text real and personal and queered and, you know, all of the things. Mm-hmm. Then there's stuff about like, you got to have equal weights and fair measures and uh, parents can't be punished for their children or children be punished for their parents only for their own things that they've done wrong. And Which that feels like a contradiction of something else that we've gotten elsewhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, what was that about the momser earlier this Parsha? Hmm. Ooh, also that. I think what that's really saying is that we shouldn't have priests. <laughs> and then stuff about you gotta leave food in the field so nobody goes hungry. People can be punished, but not too much because they have to be part of the community and can't be degraded in the eyes of the community. Mm-hmm. We're not sending anybody to prison for life or whatever. Mm. If somebody dies and his brother doesn't agree to marry his widow in order to like provide a social safety net for her, basically, she gets to bring him before the courts. Also, we are almost done. And there's two absolutely wild things that happen here near the end. Mm -hmm. One of them is... Right at the very end, you have to remember how Amalek was terrible to you, and you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. (laughs) Right? 
which is a wild thing to say in that order of words. Um, I, (laughs) yeah, what? I actually deeply appreciate that the text has given us, included in our 613 commandments, a commandment that is literally impossible for us to do. Mm -hmm. I think it's good humility. Yeah. And I also like it in the sense of if it's like, hey, people who did bad things, we should get rid of the bad things forever. Blot it out. Um, You have to strive to do that forever. Also, you are literally never going to be able to succeed in that. Mm -hmm. Nor should you, because you should remember what bad things there can be so that you don't do them again. Mm. You blot out the immediacy of that memory from under all the skies. Mm. The last thing that I want to end with actually comes just before the Amalek thing, but it's still wild. So two men get into a fight with each other, and the wife of one comes up to save her husband from his antagonist and puts out her hand and seizes him by his genitals. You shall cut off her hand. What? Show no pity. Uh, (laughs) Hey, hey, can I just point out the next line is, you shall not have in your pouch alternate weights, larger and smaller. Uh Uh-huh. what? But the the other thing is, if we take this euphemistically, uh-huh. anybody who has multiple weights is going to have one above and below. What? Sorry. Okay. So genital biology. Um, testes are staggered so that it's like harder to destroy or severely wound both of them at once. Okay. So everybody has. Everybody who has at least two testicles has one that rides higher and one that rides lower. So if we take this as an extension of genital talk, this is another one that you literally can't do. Oh, fascinating. Okay. (laughs) But mostly I just think that Moshe was like, hey, if there are two astronauts on the moon and one kills the other with a rock... Yeah, yeah. How messed up would that be? And then immediately goes into another thing without segue. Yeah. For what it's worth, the rabbis are also really baffled by this. (laughs) And they're like, uh, I guess we can fine her for it. We don't actually have to cut off her hand. Okay, cool. Are we done with the Parsha? We are done with the Parsha. Baruch Hashem. It is such a long Parsha. Thank you for bearing with us. Yes, thank you, dear listener. This production is brought to you by viewers like you. (laughs) Quite literally, join our Patreon. Lulav, does that mean you're ready for Rating God's Writing? The segment in which we pick two scales and rate the Parsha based on them. I sure am. Okay, so Lulav, if this Parsha Mm -hmm. was one year, that was the first year you came out, how many (laughs) days of the year would you give this Parsha? I would give this Parsha 370 days because there's a lot of really interesting stuff to talk about when you talk about how gay you are more than you would expect. And so, like, some of that time is wasted just being like, hey, I'm gay. Did you know that? I'm gay. Saying the really basic stuff over and over again. But also there is just so much more nuance and things that you don't hear talked about, but that you and people you care about can talk about together. You make a gay life out of your gay year. Aww. 
And so I think 370 out of 365.25 days is what I would rate this, Parsha. Though to be clear, about half of those days are just repeating the fact that you are gay in a really cringy way. (laughs) Okay. So, Jazz, if this Parsha insists on saying some of the most heinous stuff in it, what would you do out of the entire process of being in the presence of elders, pulling the sandal off of the Parsha's foot, spitting on the Parsha, and saying, Thus shall be done to the Parsha who will not build up his brother's house, and he shall go in Yisrael by the name the Parsha of the Unsandaled One. Of those, like, four things. Thank you for bringing that into our rating section, since we did not go into detail about it in the Parsha, and it is wild. Uh-huh. So are you saying which steps of the process? Yeah. Like, this Parsha insists on saying some of the more heinous stuff. Like, saying it in the Peshat, rather than interpreting it the way that we have done. hmm And so, how do you feel about that? Like, how aggressively do you pursue this ceremony of discharging the Levir's duty by annulment? Sure. <laughs> I think what you gotta do is think of this as like what is the transformative justice model that we want to apply to this heinous way of thinking so i think you go through the process of like you bring them to the elders of your community and you talk about why it's bad and you go through the like yeah you get to walk around as the (laughs) unsandaled one and then you have like another series of meetings regularly about like and here's how you can earn your place back in the community and that is by reinterpreting it into a way that we can all live with yeah i love that (laughs) jazz can you take us to the close yeah thank you for listening to kosher queers if you like what you've heard you can support us on patreon at patreon.com slash kosher queers which will give you bonus content and help us keep making this for you you can also follow us on Twitter at Kosher Queers or like us on Facebook at Kosher Queers or email us your questions, comments, and concerns at kosherqueers at gmail.com. And please spread the word about our podcast. Our artwork is by the talented Lior Gross. Our music is courtesy of the fabulous band Brivola, whose work you can find on Bandcamp. Oh, by their album. They're great. Our sound production this week is done by my lovely co-host, Lula Arnau. Thank you. And I'd love to give a special shout out to my friends, Big Judes and Biggie. Okay. Who I think about all the time. So our transcript team of Jazz, Ruben, Dico, and Chesed mm-hmm. brings you full transcripts of every episode, which is the real shout out that I want to make. And you can find a link to those in the episode descriptions on Buzzsprout. I can't believe I let you get away with calling the rabbis that. I'm Jazz Twersky, and you can find me at Word Nerd Knitter on Twitter. I recorded this audio on the traditional lands of the Ohlone people. I'm Lula Varno, and you can find me at Space Truck 6 on Twitter, or yell at me at Palm Liker. I recorded this audio on the traditional lands of the Wapekute and Anishinaabeg. Have, Have a, a lovely, lovely queer, queer Jewish, Jewish day. day. This week's gender is waking to a soft buzz where you sleep through loud music. This week's pronouns are E, M, 
air. <laughs>